That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. David Miller. And I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And we hear your frustrations. And we're really, really pumped today to be here with a classmate of mine, actually. Um, her name is Dr. Katrina Cox, and she has a real mission to share with regards to recovering from cancer. Yeah, and so Dr. Katrina is, has a physical practice in Bowmanville at the Equilibrium Healthcare Solutions Clinic. Um, but what we're talking to her today about is her new program called the Cancer Remission Mission. And uh, we're super pumped that she is um, really addressing a part of healthcare that has not got the attention that it deserves because there's a lot of patients and people um, in this space and we're really excited to hear the work she's doing uh, to, to help support them. So welcome Katrina. Thank you. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, did I did I do well at uh, introducing your uh, two main roles that you have going on now? Yeah, um, basically I've been practicing for about 10 years and I love naturopathic medicine, but more importantly I love empowering people. And I find that there's a big divide between the knowledge that we have as naturopaths and the general public. And so one of the big things is just to make sure that those that have survived cancer treatment learn how to regain control, re rebuild themselves and restore their health. Um, and so I'm, that's where I started and that's why I'm passionate. And so I'm working on the cancer remission mission to help them keep moving forward. And that's why you're such a good guest for us, Katrina. Like I'm really pumped to hear that because it's, it's basically 100% aligned with what we're trying to do on this podcast, which is sort of educate people to understand the good work that people like you are doing out there. Because I feel like a lot of people don't understand the full scope and impact of what you can do as a naturopathic doctor and they're lost and they there's a space between there and that's where you are and that's where we are so uh maybe without further ado uh let's just get let's get started into why you're into this this cancer remission mission it sounds really really important it is important to me i have a personal story um, when I graduated naturopathic college, I was like, no, I don't want to be in cancer treatment. It's so overwhelming. It's emotional and everything else. And within the first five years, both of my parents were diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so at different times, they were going through treatment in different phases. Um, and they, the thing that struck me the most was that they were able to do a lot of integrative care while they went through it, although there were lots of people who weren't able to, um, just because of their oncologists and, and where they find themselves and how aggressive their cancer is. There's so many different reasons. But the most important thing that came for me was that after they were successfully through treatment, their oncologists, you know, they went from 
uh, living their life daily to going to treatment and just, you know, trying to survive to, okay, we'll see you in three months or six months. We're going to do this blood test to follow up. And they ha were totally lost. They had no idea, you know, what had happened to them. They felt like they had lost time. They weren't capable of like going back to work yet. There was just so much lack of guidance at that point. And I think from an atropathic perspective, it's so important because we have more reoccurrences than we should ever have. You know, we have more, these people are 50% more ill than the rest of the population. They, including depression, physical, you know, issues. So it's just a really important place where, you know, our, our system, our conventional system just totally, I think, doesn't have the right capability or the setup, you know, the money is invested in actively treating the cancer, which is important, but more important is how do we go back to what we should be doing, you know? And the, the answer that they got really infuriates me because they said, you know, what can I do to stop it from coming back? Or, you know, a lot of my patients will ask that question. And the big answer is there's nothing. Go home, do exactly what you were doing from before. And, you know, we'll roll the dice and see how it works. And I think that that to me is the definition of insanity, just like Albert Einstein says, you know, if we just keep doing what we were doing, there's a reason that the cancer became the way it did. You know, we don't, we don't know the reasons why necessarily, but we can start making better choices to get the buckets, you know, of our immune system and our health to be better so that we can overcome those statistics of reoccurrence and whatnot. So. Yeah. Can you, can you just sort of, um, you, you mentioned the word integrative care. Yeah. Can you just sort of, for, for people who may not know what integrative care means, can you sort of explain your interpretation of integrative care? Yeah, okay, so here's how it goes. You may get the diagnosis of you know having cancer and then you have a couple of options going forward, right? The first option is to do everything your oncologist says, which is usually surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. Second option is to try to convince your oncologist that you can, you know, also do things alongside that, right? So that's where the integrative part would come in. So is there nutritional stuff we can do? Are there treatments that have been proven that they're okay or that they don't contraindicate, you know, doing your chemotherapy or radiation? Um, you know, do they make it better to use, you know, and that kind of thing? And then there's a third option, which I don't particularly love, where patients say, I don't want to do any of that. And they just want to do naturopathic, you know, in interventions. And depending on how aggressive the cancer is, I always tell patients that that's never a really great choice in North America because we don't have access to everything, you know, right? If it would, if right. we had unlimited access to all the things that are up and coming and everything, it would be a totally different scenario, but we don't. Things aren't, you know, available in Canada. They're not available through naturopathic doctors. They're, they're not approved therapies. There's all kinds of things that, you know, get in the way of doing that third one. So from my perspective, integrative care during cancer treatment is just being able to do both things at the same time, right? Like when David and I went to school, we were told in our very first year that you couldn't do IV, IV vitamin C at the same time as chemotherapy. And now, I mean, it, to the point where the one of the doctors that was teaching us who runs the on, Ottawa Integrative Cancer Care was telling us, like, not even around it, not even three days after, like, you have to wait until they're done chemotherapy completely. And now, depending on the types of chemotherapy that you're being prescribed, we know through research that that's not the truth right? Would I do them on the same day? No. Would I give the half-life, 
you know, some time to do its job, yes, but there are definitely treatments that have been proven, both from a conventional standpoint, that work really well at the same time as high-dose IV vitamin C. That's not what we're talking about now, though, because the patients that I'm talking about are, whether they've been able to integrate during active treatment or not, now is the time where they are, like, given carte blanche to do whatever they want, right? Now, you know, once they've been diagnosed in remission, essentially, right, or, you know, at least stable, they're they're told to go home and keep doing what they were doing before. And that, uh, you know, that is the insanity of it all. They're not given guidance on, you know, how to change things or what's going on with their body to be able to make a difference, right? So... So from your lens, then your personal story, how, uh, what should your parents say to you? Like, what was that? Uh, where were they? They've come through that acute treatment where it's all focused on, you know, getting the cancer. Um, what was their, you know, what was their story afterwards? How did that look for them? So at that point, they, uh, you know, they both turned to me and said, I don't believe that there's nothing more I can do. Right. That point they went, uh, you know, we've been lucky to get through treatment as well as we have, but what can I do now? Like, what is there that makes the most sense, you know? And because what happens a lot of times with the patients that I work with is that, you know, while they're going through treatment, uh, lots of their family members and their colleagues and their Google chats, you know, like, because everybody knows that they essentially have cancer, just depending on how you're, you know, you're searching your browsers and whatnot. Um, and so ultimately, what I would, what happens at that point is that, um, you know, oh, I lost my train of thought. Hold on just a second. <laughs> um, so ultimately what happens, yeah, ultimately what happens at that point is that they have to decide whether what they want to do and what they can put forth in and the overwhelming amount of, you know, research and support that they're getting is just uh, great, but very overwhelming. And so the discussion from my mom was like, Katrina, I don't want this to come back. I, I know that there's an increased risk of this, but I'd like to get 15, 20 years before this, this cancer returns. What are we going to do about this, right? And so that's when you start going, okay, I have to figure out. It's not just about drinking green tea or, you know, whether they eat vegetarian or vegan. Like, it's more than that. It has to be a symbiotic or synergistic type of treatment. And you have to consider the person, you know, their genes, their lifestyle, all of the stuff that they want to achieve to be able to kind of put it back together. So when people are done their treatment and it goes from, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in this by any means, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it goes from a pretty intense sort of period of time to then just a vacuum. And so they're sort of like floating in space on their own. When people are in that space, are they looking to do everything they can like your parents in general? Like, are they looking to do as much as they can so it doesn't recur? Or are some people just like, okay, it's all gone. It's great. I can go back to doing exactly what I was doing before. So I, I'm, I'm looking for the, I am working with, and the people that I see in my practice are more in the first category. The second category, you're not going to change them, right? Those are the people who are like, I loved eating McDonald's. I don't really care. I'm going to keep drinking even though I had liver cancer. You know, like they're not interested in revolutionizing their lifetime experience. And that's fine. That's a choice that they make. It's a discussion that I have with patients. I always say, you know, what kind of person are you? Do you put your money in your mattress to save it? Do you buy mutual funds or do you play the stock market? You know, you have to know where you're at and feel comfortable because at the end of that, right, you know, if you lose all your money in the stock market, it, you're going to feel okay about it because that's the type of person you are. But if you're not that person, you're going to beat yourself up, 
you know, if you're, you know, if you're a person who puts money in their mattress or whatever, right? So the reality is that the patients that are really in this category that really fit the remission mission, the cancer remission mission, are the patients who either wanted to do integrative treatment and were convinced not to, right, by their oncologist or by their lifestyle or whatever, or and or patients who were able to do the integrative treatment, but they say, now what? Like now what's next? Like I want to make a difference in the outcomes of possible reoccurrence. I want to get back to living my life. I don't want to be depressed or upset or, you know, um, tired all the time. You know, I, a lot of them have kids, right? They've gotten through it. The scariest part, the trauma, because I will tell you getting diagnosed with cancer is traumatic. I, I, it almost equates to being a deer caught in headlights, you know? Uh, And I would also add to that, that um, often the cancer therapy, I've had patients say to me, you know, it was actually the process of the therapy that they literally have called it medical trauma. I've heard that term from a few. Legitimate. I don't think that you get through cancer treatment without a traumatic experience. There's a PTSD there. Um, And one of the steps which we can talk about a little later on is addressing grief. Uh, And people don't really equate those two things together. And I will tell you a lot of times in practice when I say, you know, where are you at in your stages of grief, people will start to bawl and they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, nobody died. I didn't die. And I'm like, it's not that. It's the grief of the life that you had built, the grief of the loss of the year that had gone, the grief of the person that you knew so well. There's so many other things that you're into grieving, you know, grieving loss of organs, like, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and not even recognizing your physical body anymore. You know, that, that, that to me, I mean, you can't, you, you can't go backwards, but with the remission mission, what I'm hoping to accomplish is an actual support group of people who want to use it as an opportunity to put themselves back together. Because I feel mm-hmm. like the people are left to try and figure it all out themselves. And it's way too overwhelming. And a lot of the support networks, I don't know if it's this where you guys are, but the support networks are great, but it's about a victimization. You know, the big thing we had to work on with my dad, for example, was that he he defined himself as a cancer survivor. So every time there was, you know, some sort of event at his school because he was a teacher at the time that where they were raising money for cancer he was identified as that person and so it became like it was the scarlet sea essentially is what i what we talked about he was carrying it around like it had defined who he was and that was really a stumbling block for him to move on you know like we don't do that if somebody has diabetes right they're not walking around like i'm telling everybody i you know i carry this d around that's not the same way with cancer people do that and i think that it's important to recognize it as a valid and important part of our his health history but it's not us you know we have to learn to be able to you know go through the steps of moving past it right and just using it as an opportunity to redefine ourselves you know looking at our lives from before and saying i really love that part about me how do i make that happen now you know like mm-hmm. th- like long term peripheral neuropathy is a perfect example how do we get so you know especially if they're uh you know somebody who does knitting or crafting or plays music or you know how do we keep that part of who they were and allow for them to heal enough that they are able to develop it into something new if they can't continue to do what they've done before you know like i've seen this happen with guitarists or bass players or drum players because their fingers right they just can't even feel 
anything to be able to accomplish what they did before. But the thing, and there, then there's grief of that loss too, right? Because they no longer identify as their guitarist or whatever. And so then we have to translate that into something new so that they can feel healed you know, and not carrying around that trauma, because we all know naturopathically, we talk about this a lot, right? But the trauma gets, you know, ingrained into our cells. And if we're not able to heal that, then those cells are not functioning at the best of their Mm -hmm. ability. And then just to get a little geeky, the mitochondria aren't able to create the energy that they need, right? In order for those cells to actually truly do the full healing. So it's not, yes, it's about what you eat. And yes, it's about how much hydration and all that other stuff. And we can talk about that, you know, when you guys are, are ready. But the reality is that there is this huge psychological component that is not addressed. And I feel that the support networks that are there now are really not positive. And so we're trying to create a tribe or a group of people who really want to translate that because, uh, and I really hate the word survivor, for example, it's like there was a war. And yes, it felt like it was war, but we have to move past that part, right? So we have to start to thrive afterwards, you know, and really love life again. So yeah, the psychological part is, is huge. Like I, I personally just had a, a last was it last a year and a half ago I had a, a melanoma like a malignant melanoma removed mm-hmm. and the first book I bought was um, uh, what was it it's uh, when when bad things happen to good people yep because because part of, I was just like man I'm a naturopath like I, I sleep pretty well I eat pretty well I'm fairly nice to people you know like <laughs> I have a lovely <laughs> I have a lovely family I have. I have a, you know, a lovely girlfriend. I have a, a work wife, Kara here who we, you know, we argue and we have a good time. Like I have a pretty good life and I was just trying to put the pieces together psychologically going, you know, what, like, did I deserve this? Is it, can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe um, where people feel like, what did I do to deserve this in a way? Cause we have to do, we have to ex- um, accept the autonomy and responsibility to do something to change things as much as we can. But there is a bit of a like, WTF, why me? Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the biggest reasons I think is a motivating factor, right? Because we don't have a crystal ball. And the way I describe it to patients is that it's not one thing. You have a bucket, for example, and the bucket is supposed to have holes in it, right? It's like a sieve, essentially. And, you know, crap gets put in there. And your body is supposed to eliminate that crap. You know, there is some stuff that you don't have control over. You know, where you where you live, for example, I mean, I live close to a nuclear plant. Right. So the reality is, you you know, and so so the reality (laughs) is that there are things that are having an impact and every single one of those things impacts everyone differently. Right. And so when your bucket fills right? That's when you create cells. No, well, what actually happens is your immune system doesn't recognize those cancer cells because when you're a baby, you have cancer cells. Everybody does. All a cancer cell is, is a non-properly replicated cell of yourself. Why we end up with tumors or development of actual cancers because your immune system's not recognizing it. And after a while, it disintegrates down and down and down. And so it has still pieces of you left in it, right? you know, some genetic propensity that is still yours, but it's mutated so much that it's like an, uh, um, you know, an object that doesn't, you know, uh, equate to your body. And so your immune system becomes immunotolerant. That's what I tell it. And so it's not recognizing that it needs to kill those cells off. And so that can happen for many different reasons. 
one being the bucket analogy, right? Your bucket's just getting full. And, and so, you know, that's where David, you would be like, WTF, why me? Because my bucket shouldn't be full right? Like I'm doing the things to detox. I'm doing the things I'm eating. Well, I'm sleeping well, I'm taking care of myself and I'm hydrating. My bucket shouldn't be full, but what else is there? Right. And so that's where we have to start looking at, you know, history of autoimmune conditions. We have to start looking at genetics. Like there's a lot bigger impacts there, right. That we have to think about. I would love to just even get your opinion or, you know, your experience on the opposite. So those patients that have come in when it's quite obvious that their bucket was quite full. Yeah. So perhaps um, those factors, you know, they're, all of those factors filled up that bucket, whether it's lifestyle or diet Stress. or genetics or environmental toxins, you know, you know, there are certain occupation. So those patients who've come in and said, you know, I've had cancer and you're looking at them saying, okay, clinically, I can see all of these things that are stacking up to a full bucket. How do you approach that even just as a doctor um, and have those conversations with the patients that you balance out the, you know, because, you know, you never want blame or saying this could have caused it. And yet you need to move forward and adapt and create a healthier environment. So do you struggle with that conversation or? No, cause I'm a pretty sharpshooter. Like I'm pretty honest, right? So, okay. you know, and I'm also an optimist. So, you know, it, I have welders, for example, that likely got cancer from their job, right? Mm -hmm. And so then I'll say to them, look, you know, if you're not willing to change your job, what are we willing to do? How aggressive do we want to be? right? What is it that we want to do here? And, and it, it comes back to the analogy of, are you the stock bro? Are you, you know, the playing on the stock market? Are you buying mutual funds? Or are you putting your money in your mattress? Because I'll be honest, these are the things that are on your list that are likely contributing or they increase your risk. That's the other thing I start talking about. It's not a, for it's not a for sure. You know, my grandmother smoked for like 80 years and never got lung cancer. And every time one of the ridiculous studies that came out and said, Oh, smoking equals lung cancer. She was like, I'm 85 and I've smoked a pack a day and I've never got lung cancer. And I said, okay, right. However, she did a lot of intermittent fasting. There were so many other things that kind of equated out to the equalness of that. Right. And so then I say, so that I'll, I'll say to a patient, like, look, this is contributing, but it doesn't mean that it caused it, but it's not helping us move forward. Right? right. So is there another job that you can get that's close by? No, you don't want to. Great. So then this is the aggressive plan that we have to put in place in order to make sure your body's able to eliminate it. Right. And so, you know, that's when I'm like, look, let's save some money. We're going to get an infrared sauna. Right. That's when I'm like, you have to do three detoxes a year and we have to start chelating metals. We have to do replenishment therapy. Like that's when we start putting the things in place that equal that try to make that equation equal. Right. So that at least your body is able to eliminate as much as possible. And this is where, you know, when patients are like, no, I still eat McDonald's and I love it and I'm going to. And I'm like, great. But then you know what your risks are. You know, you know that your risk is three times higher or, you know, whatever. And and I can't convince you otherwise. Well, I'm not going to, you know, but you roll the dice. You play Yahtzee just like everybody else. And this is the outcome that's possible, you know. And then equivalently, you would see patients, I'm sure, that are doing the opposite of Everything. trying to stack the yeah. deck in so many ways that it's cumbersome, expensive, and overwhelming, that, and, and just not maintainable. And that's where the big, like the one key takeaway with the cancer remission mission and with everything that I do is like, let's make it make sense. You know, like 
I, I have a lot of really great, you know, mentors that have been doing this for 20, 30 years. And, and I love their resources and I use them a lot and I refer to them so the patients can read, you know, sections and knowledge and everything else, but it's never one thing. And, and I'll tell this, you know, like I have patients who come in, like, for example, I can think of this case, patient has colon cancer. She's 25. She's had three rounds of it. Right. And somebody calls, she's, she's actively blogging through her whole process. And so she stumbles on this blog and this guy tells her that she could cure herself if only she was a vegan. And she has to be strict every day, all the time. She comes into my office because it's too hard for her to do because she's in her third round and it doesn't help her because she has all this nausea and all this other stuff, right? And she's in tears because she every time she eats something that isn't quote unquote vegan, she thinks she's killing herself. Right. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. You know, like I feel like that's irresponsible of the person who put that on you. That was his journey, yes, and he shared it with you. But there's no reason or or expectation for him to be like, if you just do what I do, you're going to cure yourself, right? That's that's not logical. It doesn't does he doesn't have her genes, you know? And so then I say to her, so let's make make let's make it make sense, you know? Let's say you there are some vegan meals that you like. Great, we're going to put those in our bucket, right? And then we also know that you do really well with some intermittent fasting great, we're going to put that in our bucket, you know, and then we also know that the meat you're eating isn't garbage from, you know, Walmart or whatever, it's high end, you know, small amounts, it's getting you enough protein, it balances your blood sugars better, boom, let's put it together. And now she can accomplish her diet long term, right? So she's not like willy nilly going in and out, she feels confident in the food that she's putting in her mouth, right? And she feels really great because we have two or three strategies that were individualized so that she feels like she's doing what she should be doing. And no longer is there the psychological component of, oh, I'm killing myself because I'm having this glass of wine or, you know, eating this meat or whatever, you know? So, so we've really addressed it and put together really an individual solution that makes the most sense for that patient. And she has now been in stable for like four or five years and she was supposed to die you know, many years ago. Mm-hmm. So to me, that shows the proof in the pudding. So what about people accepting, uh, you know, one of the things I went through thinking, uh, you know, about my own case was just like accepting the uncertainty in life. Is there, is there anything to be said for that? Because you got to live your life. We know we're not here forever, but you also have to accept that there is uncertainty in life. And maybe that uncertainty, you know, you talked about numbers and probability that I talk about that stuff all the time too. It just goes up depending on what you do, but like accepting some uncertainty, how do you find people dealing with that? So that is a big psychological component. And I think the thing, there are a few steps before that part, right, David, because there's, there's the medical trauma and the trauma and the grief, like we talked about, right. And so there are some of those types of things that need to be connected with. But I think the big thing for me is, is one of the things that we talk about in the last one of the last phases is, it's called bravery training, right. And ultimately, the big thing is to be courageous, right? Choosing things boldly and wisely and going, yeah, we may not know all the answers, but we can at least stack the deck, right? And if it doesn't work out the way we wanted it to, because of some unknown thing, we've at least stacked the deck so that we have a better shot of whatever comes down our down the pathway for us, right? And so that's where the, the remission mission is really the most important, because 
patients can feed off of that with each other. You know, they're not supposed to be strong every moment of the day, right? You're not supposed to be always positive. That's not how that works, right? Mm-hmm. It's about being brave in making your choices boldly and and literally, you know, making the choice that is for you because that is the most important thing, right? That's where connecting it and individualizing it is more important than every study, you know, and every supplement that you take, you know, and really connecting on that level. Katrina, I've, I'm uh, I'm listening to just your passion on this project, and it's it's I just love it's just oozing out of you, and I love it. I'm hearing two kind of submissions of the cancer remission mission, uh, just kind of some themes that have kind of come out. So obviously, um, you know, there's the one theme of what can we do to change the story moving forward. So what can we do to stack that deck, fill the bucket. Um, and you know, just change the story about the cancer. And then there's the second mission or sub sub talk, topic I'm hearing you talk about, which is um, as patients have come through that acute treatment, which is invariably traumatic to differing degrees, how do we rebuild um, both physically and mentally and emotionally? But what I love about those two themes is that and what I love about naturopathic medicine is that the treatments and approaches for both of those are, I would assume, quite similar. Legitimate. They absolutely, yeah. it's one of the reasons why I found naturopathic medicine, but more importantly, that I felt like this is a group where we need to focus a big amount of efforts on from a naturopathic perspective. What I am finding in clinical practice is that there are a lot of balls to juggle for patients and not everyone is sufficiently capable of handling all of that. Right. And so, and, and what I tell patients is that, you know, I, I would love to be the, 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 you know, person that you come to for everything. But the reality is what I really am is the quarterback. Right. And so let's talk about it. Let's make a plan. Let's let's like weigh the pros and cons. You know, when the next person says, oh, you know, dandelion roots and I have a bunch of dandelions in my backyard and I'm wondering if I should bring that in. Let's have a discussion about it. Let's let's do the pro con list. Let's make a plan and then let's execute it and let's keep coming back. But if there are bigger and more important things that we need to do, then let's also have a second place where we can do that, right? Because what I'm finding in my clinical practice is that I see patients more often than they see their oncologist, right? Once every two to four weeks, depending, but it's still not enough. I mean, I have an example of this where I've been treating a patient for almost the entirety of my 10-year career. Uh, A couple years ago, got a diagnosis, went through treatment with me. It was great, you know, and then after afterwards, we start putting it back together. And I had just done some sort of like hybrid community detox and she wanted in because, you know, it was the right time and whatever else. And so we started talking about, you know, in the detox about removing roadblocks. And she said to me, Oh my God, Katrina, it's revolutionized my life. We did this 20 minute zoom chat. And I was like, I have been treating you for 10 years and you have never heard me talk about, you know, not drinking out of plastic and changing the frying pans in your kitchen. And like, what the heck? Like I've started beating myself up. And then I realized that those 30 minutes that are there in front of me, it was like what's happening right now in my life. And it didn't necessarily lend to or was way too overwhelming to put five or six more things on that list. Right. And so that's where, you know, an online community can be really, really helpful because you can go through these steps, you know, from from my perspective, I'm still seeing patients 
um, you know, one-to-one, but they're able to see me in their living room once a week, you know, where it's like a 20 minute clip and they're like, boom, I can do that. I'm going to go find the sales and I'm going to, you know, you know, right. And so, so I'm revolution. So we're able from this tribe to revolutionize both what they're doing on a daily basis, you know, um, from an naturopathic perspective, but also their lifestyle perspective or also their psychological perspective. Cause that stuff doesn't ha- like me just saying, you know, have you gone through the processes of grief and sitting with them for half an hour is great. But then when they come back a month later, have they moved past it? Not all the time. Right. And most of the time, not because it's a deep, they're deep topics that they need, you know, more connection and more people. And, uh, you know, and that's where, I mean, you guys asked me about other people. I do a lot of referring, um, you know, out, especially because, you know, people have lost organs or, you know, they, they, the trauma that we just talked about with the whole thing. I mean, this is where they need to be able to connect. But the thing is that not every person that we refer to is also great at those things, right? Because you can't, you can't treat this situation and scenario is kind of unique, right? And and it's affecting a large percentage of our population, but it's still unique in the fact that we now have more and more people surviving from treatment than ever before, right? And, And when that happens, you have to start going, oh my crap, we're not prepared for this. You know, we're not prepared for putting these things together. And simply taking an SSRI does not really help them. You know, in the moment, it may give them some relief, but it doesn't really put the steps in place to actually fully recover, you know? so Yeah, I think the uh, the, the survivor rate, well, there's a, maybe we need a different word, uh, for breast cancer is now sitting up at about 90%. Yeah. Which, like, bravo medicine. Like, that is really awesome. Um but so much so that there's actually a new uh, specialty called uh, cardiovascular oncology because they're finding that people who've been through cancer treatments are now living, you know, long, but, you know, they're having heart disease as a result of, say, for example, Lack of therapy, yeah, right? absolutely. Um, and so you're right that it, it's, you know, we're, it's a, it's a good problem to have. Um, and yet, we're medicine totally hasn't caught up yet we're underprepared yeah. and patients are the ones that that get the fallout yeah absolutely i, I mean just uh, that's a perfect example um what i would love what i love to do is to start comparing those statistics with reoccurrence statistics as well because i think that that the place where we spend yeah we spend a lot of medicine helping people with their first cancer but where we spend way more money is their second and third Right. And that's because those treatments are harder. Their bodies are ravished. They're, you know, like they're not in a good place where they respond either. And so I, you know, I think to myself, for Pete's sake, if the hospital just paid me a normal wage, like not even a doctor salary, do you know what I mean? And anybody who wanted to, we could put together a really great, you know, treatment course. So I went, well, forget it. I'm going to do it myself because this is just crazy, <laughs> you know, right? So so it just seems like it's a place where, like you said, we're massively underprepared and we got to start moving faster. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it's hard. You were saying like you could, you could see someone almost every week and it's not enough. And I can totally relate almost no matter what, you know, what someone has. And, and I can imagine it's, it's even more uh, necessary or more uh, a problem with, with the the patient sort of population that you're dealing with this i feel like there's you know 
I've wanted to send out emails to, to old patients and say, sorry, I've gotten better. I didn't know that then. Either, either I, you know, I've, I know more now or we just didn't have time to talk about all these other things. And it's like, it's like, can you, can you talk about, is that, is that the point of the cancer remission mission? Because we, we need to be um, thorough and individualized, but that can be cumbersome. So uh, I think the purpose is that there are two things that have to happen, David. So yes, we have to do the one-to-one -one because we've got to know where they're at, right? We have to know how to put together an individualized program. But more importantly, we actually have to have some systems in place where we can talk about some of that other stuff. And so it's kind of a hybrid that needs to happen, you know, right? And I think uh, this is where the remission mission comes into place. The other piece of that is that I shouldn't have, I'm not the one healing them. They are them healing themselves. And if they're sitting with somebody else and they get a great tip from that person or they make a friendship or they get, do you know what I mean? Like it has to be bigger. You know, our, our IV suite, for example, is just a basic open space where there's four or five chairs and the people who see each other on a regular basis, they love it because they become friends and they get to know each other's kids and, and they talk about, and, and I'm surprised about this because I would think that most people wouldn't want to, but they talk about their process. They talk about what they're fighting and, you you know, right. And, and they literally will go and pay and come back into the IV suite and shake hands and be like, I'll see you next week on Friday. Like, like that tribe, that tribe that's based on, you know, the, the movement and the opportunity and all of that, that's what we have to do. Because I, like you said, I can't do it all, but I want to mm -hmm. create a forum where I don't have to. Right. I mean, my bigger mission is to, to totally change the language around cancer and move it into an opportunistic thing where people can actually fully recover on the other side and develop a brand new strategies where people are able to relate to one another in a bigger movement, like globally, because it happens here, it happens in the States, it happens in Australia, it can be crazy. Mm -hmm. Is there any, uh, is there any process of finding meaning in what people are going through? I find that uh, very helpful for a lot of people, depending on, what they're going through, uh, or maybe not, depending on what they're going through. I find meaning very important. Can you talk a little bit about maybe how that might get in there somehow? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that that equates to the opportunity of their, their diagnosis, essentially, right? Eventually, I mean, step one, heal the trauma, right? Release the grief, you know, kind of those big things where you're kind of stuck and you can spin your wheels for a little while. And then the second, the second one is opportunity, right? What did this give me? Did it give me a moment to stop and be like, you know, no, I'm not in a healthy relationship or no, I'm not in a healthy relationship with myself or, you know, no, I, you know, I have to set better boundaries. Like, like that, that I think that that's what you're meaning by that, David, is that, you know, people have to go, oh, this happened to me. And yes, it might've been a wild card or crap. I didn't want it to, but what can I take from it and be able to elevate and, you know, really become enlightened almost right with it with the process that they've gone through and that can be everything from you know connecting with others that are going through their same process or you know uh some of my patients will sit on like patient advisory boards at the hospital like they get involved and so that it be, can have a bigger meaning for them in some way right you know and mm -hmm. and and that that i think is 
when you really know that you're using it as an opportunity because it becomes kind of like a hero's journey a little bit and everyone has one right we all go through things and that's the purpose it's just that half of the population is being affected by this right and so that you know the thing that that is really important to the remission mission and to naturopathic doctors is that we have to find our individuality but then we also have to find our commonality right we have to address both of those things at the same time um and that's where i think the balls can be troubling to you know, kind of juggle, juggle a little bit. Can you can you talk about maybe one or two of the most inspirational patients you've had? Because I, I find um, even in my little uh, you know sphere where I, I focus mostly on gut, uh, like gut focused things, um, yeah. I find some people so damn inspirational um, in what they're going through. Is can you talk about maybe one or two stories that are like super inspirational for you? Absolutely. So I'm starting to work with uh, new patients, probably been five or six months. And uh, her process uh, with breast cancer has been really uh, not great. Uh, got found pretty, pretty early on, which is good. Um, but she didn't do well with treatment and side effects. And so she started to put herself together, um, you know, and, and really started to like sit with, you know, deciding what her boundaries were and, you know, not taking on too much stuff. Cause she is kind of like me where she does too much. Um, you know, and then the reality is that she eventually decided she wanted to know more. Right. And she wanted more help. And so she has a large group of people that she's one of the people who, you know, like you talked about David, where she found meaning, she found meaning by, cause she started talking about how she got diagnosed in her treatment. And so now people flock to her to ask her what to expect out of this treatment or, you know, what, what can happen. And so she's become kind of like, you know, a bit of a, a profit, if you will, in terms of discussing the outcomes and, and people really connect with her because she's been in the community for a long time. But I love the relationship that we have because she went, okay, so I need to know more right? Like, yes, I'm doing all of this and I'm fil and she's doing the filtering very well, like do this and not do that and, and making it very individualized. But she's like, now I, now people are asking me questions and I don't know the answers. So now I have to find somebody who I feel is a trusted resource for me that will not write it in a way that is like, oh, this study and this study and this study, but actually make it so that when I'm talking to other people, I can communicate that information as well, which has been really phenomenal. Just the just the partnership of that, uh, you know, because I'll read the study that she has and I'll be like, okay, so this is what this says. And she's like, oh my God, light bulbs everywhere. You know, like it didn't take me an hour and I actually get it so that I can talk to other people. So that case to me is really inspirational just because, you know, from a hero, like I haven't had cancer, thankfully. Um, I've just been on the outsides. It's not really my hero's journey in the same way. I mean, it is because I've been so close to it and just had, you know, been connected with it for a, such a long time. Um, but it's not the same when you're going through it. And so her and my relationship has just been really positive and awesome and inspiring. And she inspires me because she just like, she just soaks it up, you know, and, and it's a part where she can come, she feels like I'm a trusted resource and I don't know everything. And she knows that, but she'll bring it to my feet. And then she's like, you can translate it in a way that really makes sense for me. And that I love. So yeah, that's a big part. I think of being a, a naturopath now is, you know, a few years ago, I was like worried, Oh my goodness, everyone's Googling everything. But what, as you get better, you realize you don't know everything, but you do have context. And I think that's like a big part of uh, what we do as, as naturopaths for, for people who are sort of confused with what to do next. And it sounds like a bit of like, it, that sounds like a big part of what you're doing. Absolutely. 
It's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's amazing resources out there. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Nasha Winder, she just wrote her book, uh, you know, it's called The Metabolic Cure to Cancer. And it's great. It's an encyclopedia. It's all reference. It's fantastic. And it's written in a way where patients can generally get the idea, but it's not, it's, it's that it's an encyclopedia and it's a great resource. It's knowledgeable, you know, and all of that stuff, but it means more to me than it does to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And to them, I, I, I mean, it's the same thing as when you're like Google, you know, ward on your toe and you're like, oh my God, I'm dying of X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I, the story that I remember is like when we first took a pathology class, you know, first unit was skin and, the, and our professor was like, by the end of this week, you guys are all going to have 10 new diagnoses. And she was not wrong. We all were looking at everything on our skin going, oh my God, I have this. And I, you know, and we had all these new diagnoses. So same kind of concept. And that's the context that you're talking about, David. And that's where, you know, uh, we still have to be able to connect and, and make those, make those decisions for people. And I love how, uh, you know, I love how you say um, it's about patients finding their own path. And I think I just want to connect that back to what David was saying a little bit of find your own meaning, because I have a lot of patients who, wherever they are in their journey with, with cancer, um, have said to me, I know these are the lessons I needed to learn. Yeah. Right. And often it's, you've mentioned it, you know, finding, um, you know, creating boundaries for themselves or a lot. The one I hear quite often is realizing I need to ask for help. Ah, boom. Um, well, because yeah. cancer is all about losing control, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, from a homeopathic perspective, that's what carcinosum is. But more importantly, from an actual perspective, that's what the trauma happens. It's about loss of control, right? Mm -hmm. And the way we approach it from a conventional perspective is if you don't do this, you're going to die, right? Like, literally, I mean, if you asked, walked down the street and said, you know, I have cancer, the first thing out of people's mouths is like, oh, you're pretty much dead right? Like that's the equation that we have with it, even though the statistics are showing us that it's very, very different nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the language that we have to, we have to start working on changing. Uh, Katrina, where do you struggle? So as a, as a clinician and, and, you know, with your patients, where are the patients that you see uh, that you're like, oh, this is, you know, this is a place that's hard to manage or, you know, th this problem keeps coming up and I'm not too sure how, you know, where are your hard cases? Where are the themes or problems in, in addressing this that you find challenging? I think uh, being stuck in the fear cycle, right? Uh -huh. the, the, that one can be really challenging for people because the fear of it coming back right? The fear of reoccurrence, the fear of having to relive all of that therapy all over again, that can, that is a really big challenge uh, for everyone, not just for me, but for everyone, even the people sure. in front of you, right? Because that, that requires us to change beliefs, right? And that requires us to, to, you know, we can, we can do the grieving, that that's a it's a long process but it's a simple process we know how to do it we've seen it most of us have lived it you know that kind of thing um we can look at finding meaning right and that's a really important thing and we can do that and it gives us opportunity and everything else but neither one of those replace the fear and so that's where you know it's it, that's still you know i will have i'll be working with patients two three four five, even five years plus and you know they're just like they're waiting for the shoe to drop you know, and that's where you, the, the freedom, this is where, when I talk to patients, the freedom of actually releasing that fear allows them to completely move through. And that tends to be one of the last stages. 
right? Mm -hmm. Is getting freedom from fear uh, because it comes up, it comes up with the physical things that you're doing. Like it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And part of it is also because, so because we're waiting, right? A lot of times with these patients are waiting the six months to get the blood test or the CT scan or whatever to see, right? And so we talk, one of the big things that sometimes can help patients break through is that, you know, they're waiting for the good results, right? They want the results to be positive. And I'm like, well, the results are not positive or negative. They're just results you know, right? And so if you are emotionally connected and invested in them being positive, right, because that's how you define them, then you're going through these spin cycles of, oh, my God, what happens if it's not and and all of this stuff where you're not living necessarily in the moment, and being able to unstick yourself from that fear based cycle. And so we, we try to work on the belief structure, um, and help people to, you know, actually connect on what their beliefs are and what their values are, and then redefine them in their new life, so that there's that they can get freedom. And it's not about not ever having it. I mean, you can have moments of it, right? But it's about, you know, not living in it all the time and not having the dark cloud hanging over your head, right, as you're doing it. You know, it's not. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about not being positive all the time, right? Because, yeah, you're supposed to get angry and, yeah, you're supposed to get sad and all of the other emotions. Because if you're just positive, you're denying the emotional responses of going through things, right? So that's where we talk about trying to do the rebuilding cycle, right? Because we have to get free from fear, you know? And and the reality is the more confident you are, and this is what I'll say to patients a lot of times if we're really stuck, like we're we're stacking the deck. So let's talk worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is it comes back. You are way healthier than you were when you had it the first time. You have the experience of what it was like to go through it. So you know what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this happens. I have um, an, a pretty inspirational case right now of an ovarian cancer patient that I'm working with. And ovarian cancer is pretty scary. It's not really well managed from a conventional perspective. And she's had a reoccurrence within the first year, right? And so that's a big challenge. Then the statistics are going way, way down. But she is now, she said, well, the first time I let them convince me not to do integrative care, right? Because they were like, oh, we want to make sure our treatment works. And she's like, and now that I've had a reoccurrence, that's out the door. Unless I am in an, envir- in an experimental study where it makes sense for me not to do these things, I'm not doing that again because I know what it was like the first time and they can't guarantee me that they're, they're going to be able to give me the results that, that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing it differently. Right. Yeah. And so, and coming up against that, you know, a medical system that does have quite a bit of authority and there's a lot of fear there. It's very hard for patients to decide against something. Absolutely. This is where having us in their corner is the most important, right? And I, and I will say, I don't influence your decision. You actually have to make your decision completely on your own. But what I'm going to do is give you informed consent of all of the options. I'm going to give you those percentages and the statistics, and I'm going to talk you through, and I'm going to help you find the questions you want to ask, Uh right? So that you feel really confident about making the choices that you're making. Right. You know, because I also say, who's going to look after you? That oncologist sees 35, 40 patients a day, Right. And they you look like a number and and they're like, you know, sometimes it's depending on the oncologist, sometimes they're not on top of what's happening next or what's going on. Right. And so you have to be on top of it so that you're going, wait, last time you said, you know, we weren't going to do chemo and I was one point eight. Why am I doing chemo this time when my white blood cells are now again one point eight? And that's when they get the oh, 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 you know. And so that's Mm -hmm. where we can be very helpful for them. 
because Mm -hmm. they can be able to uh, become what I call healthcare advocates for themselves um, and be able to point out, you know, stuff so that there are, there are less, you know, mistakes are made and, and more capability of making good choices for patients. Right. Yeah. And I I just want to bring up one, one thing you two have been talking about fear and I just want to say it directly. Um, Is it, is it fear of death that we're talking about? Because I'll tell you with the very, very minor brush that I had, I had an acute in your face, uh, look at the fact that I was going to die someday. And it it might've been very soon. I think that that's a part of it, David. Yeah. Like I I feel like we're not talking about it and I don't know if that's, uh, but but that's what I felt. I was like, wow, I'm going to die. And you know what that did? It made me live better, and uh, yeah, that like so. I, yeah, that's that's my little. I, I had a very uh, like my cancer is one a good one if you catch it early, and a bad one if you catch it late. But that that was my perspective shift. I'd probably get up a little bit early. I probably do more things that I wouldn't have done before out of like timidity or shyness or uh, fear of people's. Uh, interpretation of things i say hi to more people i make more people laugh at the drive-through like you, you know like it, it did have an effect on me and i just wanted to know if the fear was the fear of death that we're sort of talking about i'm gonna say yes and no so i think the thing is that we equate cancer with a death sentence right like there's always the you know like you'll read the obituary and they'll say they lost their fight right you know when when somebody does uh, succumb to cancer. Um, and you know, this happens a lot. Patients will say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to fight it. And I'm like, okay, that's not how it works. Like you have to work with your body in order to eliminate it. There's a difference, right? The, the words are pretty big. And so I think inherently the fear, right. That, that you're bringing up is the fact that we equate those two things very closely together. And there's a distinct possibility. Like there are some that are way more terminal, if you will, than others, you know, right. But the reality is that I think the, the bigger thing is that we're trying to talk about with the remission mission is the, the fear of having to go through it all over again. Right. The reoccurrence, right. you know, so, so you have to remember that there's kind of the two pieces, right? Like when you get diagnosis, deer in headlights, oh my God, it's so uncertain. There's yeah. uncertainty, I think is the biggest thing. The uncertainty of what the outcome is. Am I going to be the statistics that gets to the five years or whatever? Right. But outside of that, you know, um, am I going to have to go through that all over again? Because even That's if I heal that I trauma, I yeah. still freaking know how bad that was. You know, I still understand how terrible I felt. I mean, can you imagine psychologically if you're remembering the 14th or 15th round of chemo, like you were talking about, Kara, mm-hmm. and then going, oh, my God, I got to do this again four or five years later? Yeah. Like, what are your self-fulfilling prophecy of how bad it was the first time? Right. Mm-hmm. So the reality is that I think that the two pieces of fear are the most important. Right. I think from the a remission mission, most patients don't feel so much about the death piece, although they did when they were in it. So part of their grief and trauma is to go through like what like you talked about, David, and, and use it as an opportunity. But the second piece of that is the fear of having to go through that all over again. Yeah. That's great insight. That's, I, I never thought of that. And it's, uh, that's why we have experts like you on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Katrina, what's one takeaway you would love to kind of leave uh, in our listeners' brains as we part? I think the big thing for me, the one important takeaway is just 
just because it says it's good for cancer doesn't mean it's good for you. You know, right? Like, I think there are ways to always accomplish something. You know, there's a lot of discussion about ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting nowadays. And just because you're a vegetarian, for example, doesn't mean you can't accomplish both of those things. Right. And so I think the thing is, it's got to, it's not about whether it's the right diet or supplement, it's got to be the right diet or supplement for you. So, I mean, the big thing is just breaking it all down, fighting the support network that you need in order to make those choices. The big thing is about, you know, is it good for me? Yeah. Is there a step, is there one takeaway you can give listeners who might not have access to a naturopathic doctor for various reasons or don't have a community surrounding them? Is there a way that you can help them frame the decisions they're making as they move forward? couple of things. Uh, find good online support, right? Because, you know, go and connect with some Wi-Fi somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there, we have uh, the, we ha- I have a tribe, a Facebook tribe. It's called the Cancer Remission Mission. I do lots of posts there and there's lots of discussion from patients and people who are part of the tribe giving, you know, advice back and forth. Awesome. Um, but out, outside of that is, you know, just Um, you know, always ask yourself the question, right? Like get in tune with your intuition, get in tune with the type of cancer. Like there's gotta be five or six questions when you're deciding whether it's for you, right? But the first question is, you know, is how easy is this to assimilate into my life? If I'm gonna struggle with preparing my food on a regular basis, does that even make sense? Because eventually I'm gonna give up on that, right? So how easy is it for me to assimilate? You know, how badly do I want to accomplish this, right? Do I value this therapy or thought process really important? Because I can tell you, if someone told me I needed to be vegetarian, I would struggle drastically with that. First, I don't develop, I don't, I personally don't do well with carbs. But secondly, I grew up on a beef farm. So for someone to remove, you know, the, the meat from my life, I would be like, uh, this is a problem, right? So, you know, so that would be the second piece. The third piece is, you know, what kind of cancer did I have? right? Like, let's think beyond it's good for cancer, you know, and think about what kind of cancer did I have, you know, because that is like, is it hormonally based? Like, there's so many things that can help you determine whether something is important for you or not, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, the next thing would be to just go, okay, so is this going to cost me an arm and a leg? How often do I have to do it? Like, you know, get the ins and outs of what it is that you're looking at doing for yourself, because then, you know, is there are some sort of resource. I mean, even mistletoe, for example, um, which I love and I use a lot in, in um, maintenance therapy for patients is like they have uh, online resources. So you can actually go on to Helixer's website, say, this is my cancer. This is how long ago. And they can give you kind of a protocol so that you know how to do it. Right. And so, so that would be another way that you can like look for those people that, cause if there's, isn't a naturopath close to you, doesn't mean that there aren't experts out there. You just have to find where they are and connect with that, you know? Um, and then the last thing is, uh, you know, just make sure you're still living, you know, make sure you're making choices about the things that you're doing on a daily basis that help you to actually live. Right. You know, there's the easy things like, are you sleeping enough and you know all of the and are you hydrated and, and and that kind of thing and so make sure the foundation is there before you go searching for taking you know 25 supplements or whatever yeah yeah so we're gonna connect people with your uh in the show notes we'll put the uh the facebook group in there so that people can see what your tribe's up to and i, I think that's connection is so much easier now so um we know connection's good for health in many different ways so we'll connect people with your people and uh and Hopefully they can gain some insight from others are going through similar feelings. 
because we, we often can learn more from people who are going through the same things as us, maybe more than the naturopath. So. Of course. I mean, if they have questions about resources, they can always email me too, because I can refer out, right? Yeah. So just as you guys can too, right? Finding people that they feel are connected with them or whatnot. But the reality is, I think the thing is just try to do the connection because that's the big piece. Awesome. What's your email? Let's let's just share that. Yeah. Uh, my last name, C-O-X, period, my first name, K-A-T-R-I-N-A, just like the hurricane, <laughs> at gmail.com. I love you are uh, you are a hurricane on a mission here, which I love. And you actually dropped the perfect name for yourself, which uh, you said you're an honest optimist. And that came through loud and clear, as did your passion uh, for uh, supporting people after cancer. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Katrina. No worries. Thanks for having me. It was great. I love talking about it, obviously. All right. Take care. Bye. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there.